0: Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast, I
1: hope they move the show to PBS um, <laughs> or Turner Classic. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we just uh, Discovery Channel. It's gotten. It's gotten. Um, it's, uh, the, the chase for ratings it's finally caught its tail. It, it sort of has has crashed itself in the process. The Arch Campbell
0: podcast, featuring Arch, Lou Katz, and a cast of thousands, begins
1: now. Uh, hello, everybody. I'm Arch Campbell with another episode of the podcast dedicated to keeping up with the changing world of entertainment. Lou Katz of Hound Radio is in the control room, producing and directing. And Lou and I are both very excited, because today we welcome two of the great voices from Vulture and New York Magazine, our dear friends Jen Cheney and Rocky Hadati.: Yeah, and welcome both.
0: Thank you Hello. Guys. Hello. And let's
1: start with Jen, because I always am interested in knowing what are you watching this week.
2: Well, this week I am very focused on a singular episode of Atlanta. Um, which airs this week, the fourth episode. No masterpiece, hey. 10 bad bitches and they after me. I don't know if you've been watching this season, but it is exceptional as that show always is and completely unpredictable to the point where, as in this episode, you turn on the episode and literally no one who's normally in the show is in the episode. It's about a totally different character and it's, it's an episode about uh, reparations and the, the level of detail the significance of everything in every frame is just um, off the charts. Your family
0: owned my great-great-grandmother and father for 12 years. You owe me money.
3: <laughs>
0: they can just look you up and force you to
2: pay.
1: <laughs>
3: this concerns all of us, Willie. No,
1: it don't,
2: ask. I highly recommend, I mean, even if you don't watch Atlanta, you could technically watch this episode because it's like a one-off.
1: And who carries Atlanta?
2: It's broadcast on FX on Thursdays and then it lands on Hulu, I believe, the next day. So if you miss the broadcast, you can still watch it on streaming.
0: And this third season has been sort of anthology style, right, Jen? They've done two sort of standalone episodes of four.
2: Yeah. The premiere was also mostly focused on again characters who are not the main characters. Um, although Donald Glover does pop up at the very end. And then the two episodes two and three were more about them, but they're in Europe this season on on Paperboys tour and so the whole season is really about what it feels like when you're a fish out of water marginalized in, a, in an environment where everything feels like it's been turned upside down uh, and they're just expressing that in a whole bunch of different ways that I find really interesting so mm, that's my wow. main recommendation I also have started watching the new Better Call Saul's which I'm excited about because this is the beginning of the end of that show is um, oh,
1: that is that dropped or about to drop
2: It is coming back later this month. Hang on. I can tell you a date. It's um, April 18th. Okay. And then I I haven't even started watching these yet, but I just want to lord it over you, Arch, that I have all the last episodes of Ozark (laughs) sitting and waiting for me.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. I'm so jealous. (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. Man, Ozark. (laughs) You know, I watched about all seven of them at once of the first half for the last season and yeah. and then when when I ran out, I've just it's it's been terrible, so I can't wait for that.
0: <laughs> He's been bereft, Jen. I know
1: <laughs> so Rocky, what about you? What are you watching
0: uh, i I am also watching Atlanta, which I agree with Jen sort of takes the seasons that. The themes that previous seasons had explored and sort of twist them. Uh, I am also watching the new season of Russian Doll, which will be on Netflix, I believe. I think it's two weeks from now. Netflix has limited very much what we can say (laughs) about the plot. We can tell you the show exists. We can tell you the show is a show and that Natasha Lyonne and Charlie Barnett are back and are in it. Um, And that I think, I think we can tell you it takes place four years after the first season, but I think that's it. Uh, I am enjoying it. It sort of takes some 80s sci-fi tropes and does its own thing with them in sort of a familiar way, but I think Leone is such a singular presence that she just makes the show hers in every second of every episode so i have been
2: working my way through that um
1: now now catch me up on the plot of the first season of russian doll are we what allowed is, to say the... what
2: happened in the first season didn't i, I permission yeah i think, I think we're can. okay i think we're okay there uh the general the general premise
0: of the first season is that uh natasha leone's character and charlie brennan's character are sort of caught in a time loop of death sort of like they keep dying. When that yeah right it happens <laughs> to all of us yeah. <laughs> but it's keep... <laughs> me right now honestly <laughs> they keep dying and they keep going back to you know the morning of when they died and trying to figure out like how to break this loop and ultimately oh there yikes was... yeah it's ultimately... sort of it's a little bit
2: groundhog day-ish but yes yeah, and well... <laughs> both of them
0: yeah and there's a lesson about like caring about other people and needing others and not just sort of relying on yourself and our cruel world. So I I do enjoy it. And I will say this, I I love me a half hour show like Atlanta. And this is a solid half hour show. Uh, So I appreciate that very much. I also have been watching Tokyo Vice, which will be on HBO Max this week. uh, And that is a adaptation of a crime reporter in japan's memoir about the 12 years that he spent sort of covering crime and the yakuza in japan you used
1: to be a crime reporter in japan why
0: you think because you're a foreigner the roads are different
1: and let me guess this is how you recruit a cop don't write about
0: this it stars ansel elgort who you know has had his own Little dramas happened in the past few years because of his own bad choices, Uh, but it also has a very strong ensemble cast, led mostly by Japanese actors, Um, and I'm enjoying that very much. The first episode is directed by Michael Mann, and it sort of sets us off on a, you know, everything is going to look really beautiful Uh and be sort of violent and sad, and I love that. So, that's, <laughs> you know, that's another that's another recommendation for me. I feel like you are. They gave us five of eight episodes oh, and I'm like, where are the rest? Like, where are uh, the other
1: three? Uh, uh, so, I remember yeah. Michael Mann directed uh, Man Hunter. You remember mm-hmm. that from a long mm-hmm. ago? And it was mm-hmm. the first time we saw Hannibal Lecter as a character yep. and uh, the policeman uh, going to interview him goes to a Michael Mann prison. Which is this beautiful white pristine place, <laughs> and the audience started laughing mm-hmm. because the idea of this of this Miami style prison uh, with not a speck of dirt on it was just it was completely Michael Mann.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it just becomes so much his style to have these uh-huh. like beautiful heightened Art Deco exteriors where terrible things happen. Like, He just he yeah. loves that.
1: So yeah. Now, one of the many reasons I'm glad both of you are here is I want to ask you about severance because I am uh, kind of hooked on severance, and I believe it's about to wrap up with this uh, episode this week. It's Adam Scott and John Turturro and a very interesting actress named Britt Lower, Lower or Lauer, Mm -hmm. and uh, and I love it. Uh, and where are you two on Severance?
2: Uh, I love it, too. I think it's a terrific show. Mm-hmm. Maybe probably the best like brand new show of the year. It's another show that's like every everything in the frame is very well considered. The production design on it is like off the charts in terms of how they've created right. that office world. The finale is terrific and a huge cliffhanger that I just oh. went, oh there's no more
1: <laughs> so that's what i have to look forward to another one of these oh my now what do i do
2: yeah pretty much that's, that's yeah that's where you are basically that's your future.
1: <laughs> they're not gonna wrap it up this
0: week no not
1: no. at all and
2: we can say this now i think because oh, the embargo yes. is now broken they just announced like now it's out as of 10 minutes ago that there will be a second season so well, there will be more episodes you just have to wait for them
0: Mm-hmm. It is sort of like Yellow Jackets, which also became sort of mm-hmm. buzzy midway through its first season. It felt like everybody finally started watching it and then got a season two announcement. But both of these shows feel like there are very dense plans for maybe four, five, six seasons of where these shows will go.
2: Uh, and I both look forward to that and want it right now. So Yeah, that's I interviewed Adam Scott, who plays um, the lead, and I said, yeah. can you hurry up? Like, can you just start making them right now? Not that he's in control of it at all because he didn't write the show, but he he promised me he would get on it. So, you know.
1: And Ben Stiller is behind this. Am I right?
2: He's
0: an executive producer and he directs most of it.
1: In our show, uh, there's a procedure called the severance
0: procedure where they put a chip in your head. And when you go through, uh, in this case, you go into an elevator and it triggers the chip, you forget everything about your life on the outside. You go to work, you do your job all day then when you go back in the elevator, it triggers the chip again and you forget everything that happened at work. He, I believe that that when I spoke to Dan Erickson who created the show, he said that Stiller was very instrumental and once he got the script back in like 2018, 2019, had a really strong hand in sort of changing the tone of the show. Mm -hmm. Dan Erickson Mm -hmm. told me that like, it initially had been a little bit goofier, a little more like Terry Gilliam. Yeah. A little more absurdist and Stiller sort of encouraged him to like lessen it, sort of like drive it down uh, to be more grounded. So he definitely has like a strong hand in what this show became.
1: I like that uh, the cold weather is part of the, you know, there's snow on the ground and there, uh, 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 you know, everything is chilly. And mm-hmm. of course the uh, uh, the work atmosphere is chilly and uh and so anyway i'm a fan i'm looking forward to the uh finale this week and i'm fascinated by uh, Britt lower i've never seen her before she had was she did was she a series actress did she have something or where'd she come from
0: she's been in various things um she was on this fx show man seeking Woman. With Jay Farshel, and she's done some other TV, but a lot of her background is in art. She's like a multidisciplinary artist. She's a professional face painter. Yeah, she directed. I didn't know that. Yeah, she just directed <laughs> her uh, first film called Circus Person, which is sort of inspired by the time her and her mother traveled to like circuses and carnivals doing face painting. So oh, she definitely uh, is someone yeah. who just has like a lot of things that creatively inspire her. Um, but she's really interesting. I mean, that whole cast is really amazing. Zach Cherry as Dylan, who is the fourth member of that team, is very yeah. good, in just being like very sarcastic as to like what is happening here, and sort of serving as our audience conduit. But like every everyone's great on that. Show. And just and, and the whole relationship throwing... between
2: John Turturro and Christopher Walken is just exactly. yeah. yeah, just
1: throwing yeah. that in.
2: Yeah. Just oh, yeah. by the way, <laughs> two of our greatest actors. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: No,
0: it's great. I I was really, the person that I think is most impressive is Tremel Tillman, who plays Milchick, who is like the uh-huh, enforcer uh-huh. for Lumen. And he's yeah. someone who, for me, really seemed to come out of nowhere. And he's also done like a lot of TV work previously, just on shows that I hadn't watched, but I find him very compelling as well.
2: And we didn't even mention Patricia Arquette, who's awesome. Yeah, there's actors. so many yeah. people that yeah. are great on this show. Yeah, I'm glad you
0: like it, Arch.
1: Yeah, 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 I'm a big fan. I'm watching Julia, the Julia Child comic, I guess comic drama series on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not familiar with Sarah Lancashire, who plays her. I kind of like it. It it rings true.
3: I've had a recurring thought that I'd like to propose to you, an educational cooking show hosted by myself. Feels flimsy to me. This is public television, for God's sake.
1: I wouldn't say that it's great, but I'm enjoying it.
2: Yeah, I, I I've watched a little bit of it, and I it's just such a nice, like cozy mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, all the food in it, like you you have to have eaten <laughs> because <laughs> it, you just get so hungry
3: watching her make stuff.
2: But I, I also just like the huh. in contrast with that movie, Julia and Julia, which um, I was only interested in the Julia half. No offense to Amy Adams, yeah, but I said yeah, that was the stronger yeah. half of the movie. But this is a much more like focused version where it's just looking at this very particular moment in Julia Child's life when she first gets the gig on PBS and starts trying to build a cooking show. And just that aspect of it, like as they're learning, like how am I going to make Coca van in like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a short period of time and all the things that we've now become accustomed to seeing in any cooking demo, like they were kind of inventing that as they went along, which I think is so interesting.
1: And I kind of, I like the aspect of the difficulty uh, and sexism Mm -hmm. that uh, almost prevented her from creating the show that basically funded public television for the next uh, generation. You know, anybody who's had a good idea and had to fight for it, uh, this resonates. Mm -hmm. So, and thanks to you, Jen, I'm watching Winning Time.
2: I don't know whether to apologize or say (laughs) you're welcome. (laughs) A friend of mine said,
1: you're not going to watch this on your own. So I'm going to make you watch the first episode because you'll like it because it's about L.A. in the 80s. <laughs> that's what my friend. <laughs> that's where my friend has placed me. And he's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Arch,
0: what are you enjoying about that show? Aside uh, from I LA... like the way I
1: like the way they break the fourth wall. OK. I like the way they produce it. I like the way every episode has a theme, which they telegraph to you when it starts. One Mm -hmm. episode was about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Another one about the crazy coach, uh, Jerry West. uh, Another one about the daughter of the owner.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: And I like the way they, uh, they end every episode in a cliffhanger where you say, what Mm -hmm. so and uh uh, my wife is watching with me she's more of a sports fan than i am so uh uh, do i discern a little bit of A little bit of judgment.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. I—I mean, Jen reviewed it. I also watched all the screeners Uh we had available. So we had an emergency discussion about it also. Yeah, we had an emergency discussion about like why it looks the way that it looks, with all the switching Uh between like different like types of lenses and video filters Uh and all that stuff. Different media. Different media. Yeah, I am in the space where I think I both love it and hate it. (laughs) Like, I really, like, I like the performances a lot, and I I agree with you. I sort of like being in that time. I also am not sure what the show wants to say about any of that on, like, a grand scale. And so I think certain characters are more interesting. I really like Adrian Brody as Pat Riley. I think he's Uh really interesting. Uh, but i I sort of don't care about like the Jerry Buss of it all. And I think that's what the show wants us to care most about. So I think just sometimes my attention seems divided in a way that I don't know that the series intended. But, mm-hmm. Jen, what did you think? You reviewed it? You watched all of them?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's trying to do so much that it just um it gets diffused a little bit. And I do think that um, you know, the the techniques that they use, the, the fourth wall thing, mm-hmm. I got used to it. But especially in the first episode that Adam McKay directed, it just was so Adam McKay, it almost made my head explode. <laughs> and I think everybody, he had, did not direct the other episodes, but I think people took cues from him. But I also think some of the other directors are able to use some of those techniques without it feeling quite as aggressive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Either
2: that or I just got used to it. But I, but I do think it was really well well cast, uh, and and I, I was more compelled by it as I went along. But I mean, of course, my favorite part is when we they reference the fish that saved Pittsburgh, the greatest basketball movie ever made, uh, about you know a basketball team that basically uses astrology to win games, which is which is how basketball should work, if you ask me. Yeah, why not? The other thing that I think is sort of curious
0: and like I just I'm not sure how I feel about this is I don't know if I quite agree with the framing of magic diagnosis being like what we start from mm-hmm. and then move backward from because part of me feels like half of this is a show about magic
1: first pick the 1979 nba draft the los angeles lakers select urban
3: magic
0: johnson and sort of being like looking at all these risky behaviors that he was doing and like of course this would be the outcome and then part of it also is about building the lakers and i don't think those two halves speak to each other very well uh so i sort of wish it had just been one or the other the other thing that i think is really interesting is that like nobody from the Lakers agreed to be involved, right? So like they hate the existence of the show. Oh, and that, we like that. Yeah, that sort of makes it more interesting to me, to be honest.
2: Yeah, like Jerry, Jerry West and, and people who know him have been real particularly annoyed because they feel like this is a total misrepresentation of what he was like. And in fact, he did not have that kind of volatile temper that they kind mm-hmm. of build the whole character around in the first episode. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part of it is interesting too. But, you know, there's... After the show is over, there's a whole documentary, They Call Me Magic, about Magic Johnson that's coming out on Apple TV. So we're going to be getting a lot of 80s Lakers content in the next month or so. Mm -hmm.
1: I like the uh, thread of the coach who comes in and makes them change. And I've forgotten his name and is willing to get rid of a bunch of them to uh, see this vision he has through. And then uh, without giving too much away, he's sort of like a secret ingredient who then goes away. But he's mm-hmm. sort of the, the little uh, and, you know, I, do, I, I think when something succeeds very often, there are a lot of things like that that fall into place that are just just plain good luck.
2: Yeah. And I, and I like the fact that they they do show the kind of the work of basketball um mm-hmm. in the show like tracy Letts' character who you're referring yeah, to yeah just him trying to figure out how do i make this happen actually showing the practices because a lot of time in sports movies and tv shows they show games or they talk about yeah difficulties but actually showing them putting in the work and, and how challenging it is i i appreciated that about the show
1: i was so glad to see tracy Letts in such a wonderful role after suffering through uh, deep water
2: uh excuse me arch <laughs>
0: That film is amazing, and he is amazing in it. <laughs> How
1: dare Seriously? you? Seriously? I
0: enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for what it was, truly, well, genuinely. And I think he's having fun in it, which
1: Well, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of his anyway. So uh, we had an award show this last weekend, the Grammys, which seemed to have uh, survived the weekend uh, pretty well and even uh, uh, received some kudos for their uh, inclusion of uh, the uh, Ukraine uh, war and the Ukraine uh, terrible situation.
2: Our parents are happy to wake up in the morning in bomb shelters, but alive. Our loved ones don't know if we will be together again. The world doesn't let us choose who survives. And who stays in internal silence?
1: Any thoughts on uh, the Grammys or award shows in general?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna punt this one to Jen. Oh, uh, nice, <laughs> nice. What did you
2: think? Uh-huh. Well, I think you know this was sort of the the return to normal Grammys um, mm-hmm. because last year's ceremony was all distanced and and uh, not performed in the way that those. Performances are usually done. It was much more isolated, and uh, I was glad to see the performances back in a big theater. And I thought they did a really exceptional job on the the stage production of a lot of those performances. I mean, like Olivia Rodrigo had her did driver's license, and they had this car, and this whole, just all of it was very um, very well done, and it just looked really great on on your television. Um, and I think I do think the Oscars were trying to take a page from the Grammys, unsuccessfully because there are just so many Grammy awards, they can't possibly give them all out during the telecast. So a long time ago, they picked and chose which ones they were going to give out and and started emphasizing performance. And that's what they did this time. And they they weren't trying to like throw you any curveballs. It's like, this is what the Grammys is. Enjoy it or don't. The Oscars (laughs) could learn from that. Just be yourself. Stop trying to tweak everything into within an inch of its life. Just give out the damn awards, which is what we're here for.
0: And I think the Grammys are not apologizing for themselves. I think Mm -hmm. they're celebratory in tone. Like everyone is there to have a good time, to celebrate each other, to acknowledge the work that went into this. And I appreciate that the Grammys maintain that. There isn't sort of a intro bit about like, nobody listened to these songs. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody listened to these songs. They were the songs of the year. And so I think so much of the Oscars comes down to just this weird sort of being like, ashamed of what the movies that were nominated are, Um, and I just, I don't think that serves the ceremony at all at this point. If you're telling the people watching that they didn't need to watch these movies,
2: then why would they watch the Oscars again? Yeah, I mean, there's an air of desperation about the Oscars that the Grammys just doesn't have.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that gets us. Uh, Jen, you wrote a wonderful piece for um, uh, Vulture, on uh on the oscar broadcast per se the oscars as an award show which uh you know let's let's get back to it i mean the will smith incident overshadowed everything about the oscars this year and you took a moment to look back and say well while we're at it uh, that was really a poorly produced show (laughs) so what is the future of the oscar show
2: I mean, my hope is that they do what I just said, which is just let the Oscars just be the Oscars the way it was traditionally done for the most part. And and just face the reality that you're not going to get as many people watching it as you did 15 years ago. Like it's just never mm-hmm, coming back. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you do, who you get, who you put in the hosting position, it's just never coming back. I, I predict they will have, if they're willing, Wanda Sykes and Amy Schumer and um Regina Hall Regina come back. Hall. Because I feel like there's a sense because of the slap that like everybody's work, both the nominees who are recognized as well as the host kind of got overshadowed. And I, I would be surprised if they don't ask them back to sort of give them another shot. Not that they didn't have a shot this time, but just as almost like an apology.
1: <laughs> well, several people did say that, uh, you know, at least thank God we had a host to kind of try to get the thing uh, back together after that while but we're they on took the
2: way s- too long to it do that. It was like an hour, wasn't it? Yeah. Like an hour it was a long time. time. They sent Diddy out to, to, to try to make peace. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that was what it was. And yeah. it wasn't until they until finally Amy Schumer came back out and said, oh, did I miss something which I thought was very funny? They needed they needed to send her back out like in, immediately. And I'm sure there was like all kinds of conversations all kinds of scrambling. Rhonda Sykes may not have felt right going out because she's very good friends with Chris Rock. Regina Hall Mm -hmm. has been in movies with Jada Pinkett. I don't know if she felt weird, like who knows what all the background conversations were. But I think, I just remember back when weird things would happen on the Oscars when Billy Crystal would host, not this weird by the way, but just whatever. And he would always be like, he would come back ready to like comment on it. And they just, they needed that.
0: Yeah, I think ignoring it didn't serve anyone especially because like what we've read from inside the room as everyone was like, what the hell's going on? You know? So I just think it's, I think it's strange. And I, you know, I would love like, and, and to Jen's point as well in her piece, it's like the other changes that they made, like moving the categories beforehand and then editing the speeches into the telecast. I mean, they chopped out parts of those speeches and just presented what they wanted. So I also just think it's, disrespectful to the nominees aside from the slap and like the non-response to it there were other elements of this production mm-hmm. that were just bizarre and i i but they
1: promised three hours and i hold that against them mm-hmm. uh you know and it was like at 10 30 or 10 40 they said but well, now we're going into the third hour of our show right. i said no you're you're in the middle of the third hour right uh yeah so
2: i hope yeah, And if you're going to take there. out excise stuff, then you better end on time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, then you failed. And and I will say, the Grammys, A, they give themselves leeway. They say we're ending mm-hmm. at 11.30. They're not going to mm-hmm. try to end at 11. Right. And they ended bang on time at 11.30. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, if they said that at the Oscars, I'd be happy. Uh, shall we, anybody want to speculate on how Will Smith comes back from this?
2: <laughs> I cannot begin. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, but what I will say is
0: that Louis CK won a Grammy. I mean, I think
2: <laughs> I mean
0: like but yes. to be but to be true. I mean, I think I I think that what Smith did was applauded by some people and will remain applauded by some people. And that's sort of their prerogative. So I do think there is the sense that like it was, of course, a very jarring thing that none of us necessarily were expecting to see. Um, but I, I don't think this is something that like ruins his career and i also don't think that people's careers actually get ruined anymore <laughs> so you know i think he'll come back and maybe uh he loses a portion of his fan base but i think he has gained new fans and i just think that hollywood keeps being hollywood
2: I, and chris I rock is doing great like his his uh his tour oh, yeah. the, the tickets are skyrocketing cuz people want to go see it so uh, yeah no one's getting canceled out of this no this, yeah
1: no I have, I have a very good friend who uh, whom I met uh, when he was a caddy on the golf course, and he's a big uh, athletic guy. And I got to talking to him, and it turned out he had been a drama major in college, and mm-hmm. his specialty was Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you Owen, you've seen he comes to the movies with me uh, because he's a movie fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went over to his house this weekend for. 2,000 bucks, he put a a projection screen in his basement. And uh, for another thousand bucks, got some speakers and uh, turned out the lights. And uh, we had an experience uh, equal to going to a theater. Mm -hmm. And he, who sees more movies than I do, said, you know, I may not go to the movies again. Uh, I think a lot of people are doing that do we make of that?
0: I mean, I think we have talked for a long time about the flaws of the theater-going experience. A lot of times, and this is just me being very cynical, a lot of times the flaws are other people.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: So I think it is, you know, $3,000 is an investment, but not prohibitive for everyone. So, you know, I think theaters are gonna be we, I, I there's been a theory floating around that essentially theories will be theaters will be studio owned. like Disney will have its own theater and Netflix will mm-hmm. have its own theater. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's where we end up. But I don't know. I mean, I love going to the movies, but i, I you know, mm-hmm. they have taken a definitive hit since Covid and
2: just people's new practices, and i I don't know. Jen, I don't know. Do you have a theory? Do you have any thoughts? I don't have a theory. I mean, yeah. I, I I think everybody's probably going to go to the theater less than they used to. And that's going to, you know, for somebody who goes a lot, that's the amount they still go may still seem like a lot. But for Mm -hmm. people who only go once or twice a year, they're just not going to go at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, that's just something that has to be reckoned with. I don't think movie theaters are going to go away, certainly not anytime soon. But I think it's going to take more to motivate people to actually want to go when they can when they have so many options, they can watch at home and I mean, I don't have the setup that you're describing, although I I would like to. Um,
0: <laughs> Agreed, I would love that. Yeah,
2: but yeah. I, you know, I have a, like a Sonos soundbar in the family room and like a 65 mm-hmm. inch TV, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. if I can sit on my couch and and watch something, it's and not be and and to uh, to Rocky's point, like nobody's coming in, sitting in front of me talking, <laughs> um, other than the people that I live with, uh, <laughs> then there's there are times when I definitely would prefer to just do that. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think so much of the theater and the benefit of it is, like, the sound and video quality, of course, and the communal vibe that you're getting with other people. And more and more at chain theaters, we're seeing the sound and video quality diminish, and you're sort of seeing that sense of, like, well, we're losing the communal aspect because somebody will inevitably be on their phone, people will be talking, people will come and go, so I just think it's, you know, the increased splintering of how we watch things coupled with the monoculture, like most of what we're seeing in theaters now are these like huge blockbuster films. And if that's not what you want to see, then why would you go?
2: Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, I went to an IPIC in um, Manhattan by myself because I needed to see something to talk about on WTOP. And there were like two or three other women in my row, and all of them were on the phone. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with IPIC, the tickets are not cheap, They were ordering food, like they were spending $30 or $40 to sit in a movie theater and be on their phone. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand that. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. get it. Mm -hmm.
1: Yikes. Well, I just learned a new word, monoculture. So thank you, Rocky, for that. (laughs) <laughs> speaking of new things let's take a break for hound radio which produces and enables this podcast thanks to our producer lou Katz. hound radio now provides equal time to our feline loving friends ah! welcome to cat corner with lisa sinrod
3: do you have a tabby cat Tabby isn't a breed, but rather a specific coat pattern common in domestic cats. It can consist of stripes and whorls and includes a distinctive M-shaped marking above the eyes. There are traits that are common in tabbies, including being affectionate and intelligent. Tabbies are generally good first cats and great in households with kids due to their friendly personalities. Tabbies can be short or long-haired of varied colors. They often look like little tigers with pronounced line markings on their coats. Tabbies are unique because the pattern on their coats has its own genetic roots from modified genes. Tabby cats can be categorized as classic, mackerel, spotted, patched, and more. Next week, we'll discuss grieving the loss of a cat. I'm Lisa Simrod for Hound Radio.
1: A couple of things to mention. Uh, If you are in the Washington, D.C. area, we are grieving uh, Bruce Johnson, 71 years old, who anchored and reported for Channel 9 in Washington for 40 years. This is Bruce Johnson reporting. This is Bruce Johnson reporting. March 15, 1976. Ides of March was a bad day for Julius Caesar, right? It was a good day for me. That's when I came to channel nine he strikes me as uh, one of the last of the local TV news stalwarts so I'm very sad about that I'm very happy to announce that Jen Cheney is in the midst of producing a podcast. Would you like to plug that Jen
2: oh sure I did not expect to be able to do that uh, oh, it- well, sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is about
2: <laughs> yeah so um the podcast actually hasn't debuted yet. It, the first episode will be out on May 18th. And it's called Basic. And it's about the history of Basic Cable, where um, myself and Doug Herzog, who um, is a former executive, he used to be in charge of programming at MTV. He used to run Comedy Central. He worked at Fox for a period. So he's he uh, as he reminded me during a conversation about Dave Chappelle, I'm the one who paid him all that money. <laughs>
3: I'm like, oh, yeah, you, wasn't it?
2: Um, so in each episode, we interview someone from that that kind of came from from basic cable. So like we had Jimmy Kimmel on. We had a very interesting conversation about The Man Show. Um, we had Which, uh,
1: can't wait to hear that
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, we had Amy Schumer. We've talked to Cindy Crawford. Uh, we talked to Fab Five Freddy about U.M. Uh, Yo MTV raps. Um, so Thanks to Doug. Mostly we're getting a lot of really great guests and having some good conversations. So you will be able to f- hear it on Sirius XM, but you can also, I believe when, once it's out here, it anywhere that you get your podcast.
1: And it's uh, basic, the name of the basic show with is an exclamation basic. point. Love it. Love it. Speaking of basic, we're wrapping up. We've got a few seconds left. So uh, some weekend recommendations,
0: Rocky, uh, I would say catch up on Russian doll. It's coming. So you might want to refresh where it left off.
1: Russian Doll, Netflix. Mm -hmm. And me, I'm going to watch the uh, finale of Severance. And Jim,
2: I'm just going to reiterate what I said up top, which is, you know, be watching Atlanta. It's really one of the greatest shows on TV and just doing a lot of risky things that pay off really well.
1: Uh, Jen Chaney and Rocky Haddadi, thanks so much for being here. It's so much fun to hear from you two. Lou Katz, thank you for everything and we'll see, you. we're taking a week off and we'll see you in a couple of weeks or talk to you. <laughs> we'll do something, we'll do something. Something
0: will happen. Voices <laughs> will come out
2: and you will. Yeah. <laughs> Can't
1: wait. This is the Cats
0: Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a pod cats.